You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I purposely waited for you to take a sip. You're like the waiter who comes by at the the royal. How are you enjoying your meal? <laughs> so, no complaints, I guess. This is our last podcast of 2023. It is unbelievably, which comes out on like Boxing Day or something. Yeah, it's been. Um, I don't know. I thought we usually take a break at Christmas, but obviously we don't. Well, I mean, that's it. We cut the episodes in half, but um, I I thought that this year was the best year that we've had on this podcast in terms of caliber of content. You know, I I think when we were doing this weekly, like we had some weeks where we just put some crap out because we needed to get the episode out, you know? Well, you know, during COVID, you had nothing better to do. So we just, you know... uh I was explaining to somebody on tour not too long ago. I said, you know, we we've cut it back to, uh, you know, to bi-weekly and um, and uh, because we were during COVID, just we were having winemakers over to my garage, and we were um, yeah. But it was it was the every week. It was the logistics. It was the editing. We're like. You know, this past year, we actually had a chance to work ahead. Like, as we're recording this, our next two episodes are already in the can. And man, let me tell you, like, they are bangers. We have uh, uh, Xavier Amiro from uh, Domaine Amiro, the, yep. his eponymous winery. Yep. Uh, a natural, our first podcast of 2024 is a natural wine producer that you had on by choice. I did. I loved that guy. I thought he was great when I was in the Loire Valley. And then uh, Andy Pay. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, who, who we talked about making some amazing, killer, cool climate uh, Pinot and Chard. Out we're of assuming, California. Out of California. I think, I think, at least for the Canadian market, now understanding more and more how palettes are regional, we're going to see some more of the Sonoma, the Sonoma West Coast. I can't remember the name of the ABA. No, it's Sonoma West Coast. Yeah. Sonoma West Coast, like yeah. right close to the ocean. But it's, but it's, it's really cool, uh, cool area, kind of like Monterey. He was uh, mentioning. But and um, we are and we are drinking uh, Pinots and and Beaujolais. Um, yeah. Now and we'll, 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 um, we'll talk a bit about what we're drinking. But you know, um, I also want to uh, address something. I got a little bit of fe- first off, the thing that drives me nuts is when people have something to say about the content we're doing, but won't tell us. I know you're sitting in your car, in your house, in your bathroom, listening to this, and we're talking at you, but we really think we're talking to you. Yes. So I'm at Andre Wine Review on Instagram. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. You're the grape guy on Instagram. That's one of the easiest ways to get a hold of you. If you have thoughts on the content, we want this to be a two-way street because I actually had someone who was irked with my conduct on the podcast over the past year, and I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but I was surprised because it's always people who are irked at... What did you do? Yeah, that's what I asked. Apparently, I'm guilty of being too hard on the Ontario wine industry because of the travel that I've done and, like I said, like having been to Alto Adige, and it's just like, you know, I, I do think that Ontario needs to pull up its socks in terms of the the baseline of quality, but apparently I've been a little too hard on Ontario. Which is really funny because um, I, I don't know how to say this, Andre, because I guess I'm going to have to, I'm not throwing you, I'm not going to throw you under the bus because I think I started the year by saying F Ontario. I said, let's get more, um, let's get more content that gets us out of the province. Let's not be so Ontario centric. And uh, I guess uh, you took it way more to heart than I guess I even realized. What I mean, that's it, though, is, um, you know, I, I am definitely, like, privileged to be still a journalist and a business owner in Ontario that I take every opportunity while I'm traveling to look for the best practices to bring back here. But, you know, I... I do think we've got a lot of good stuff going on in Ontario, but I think one thing that gets a pass, whether it's from you, whether it's from me, whether it's from Wineline, whether it's from Rick, is that we don't shine a spotlight on a lot of the bad stuff. And the problem is there's still a lot of really bad stuff happening that is still getting, you know, the golf clap and the pat on the back. I'm sorry for this industry to progress. We need to start calling out the people who are making bad wines and push the industry that, forward. That or we need to change the, and I had a long conversation with, uh, with uh, a couple of winemakers and also uh, let's call them wine fanatics for Ontario 
uh, with regards to um, the VQA and yep. and how we do it. And uh, I am still a proponent that we require a two-level VQA. Yeah, and I think that this is one where, like, in a roundabout way, you and I agree. Like, frankly, you know, I don't think that they would be wines that would get to our dinner table very often. But, like, here's the thing is if you and I, the knuckleheads that we are, decide to buy 10 acres in the Hockley Valley and we want to plant hybrids, I think we should be able to put VQA on it and let the market decide if the wines are good. And that's the one thing that's going to, A, help develop the market for hybrids. Because in Quebec, you have a market that are fierce uh, consumers and advocates for getting their hands on the local wines, which are largely, largely made by hybrids. Tidal Bay in Nova Scotia is something that has been well-defined. And frankly, really, for the most part, there's more good Tidal Bay than bad Tidal Bay. What what I what I would argue with you on the Quebec thing is that uh, I did have a number of people from Quebec on tour this year, and they yep. were like, "Quebec wines are are the merde." Uh, so, but they still like their like Vain de Quebec, which is their VQA, are working hard to make sure the industry is developing, and their market is is really look, getting behind the local wines. I agree with you that I think the vinifera from Quebec is what's going to really put them on the map, like. I know Domaine Saint Jacques is a, a personal favorite, but there are a handful of others. But you know, every time I taste Yvonne's Chardonnay, and you know, we should hopefully next year we get out to Quebec again to see what he's done. It's just like, you know, I feel like Yvonne, like now that he's been doing this for as long as he has been, it's like literally watching a kid go through grade school. And like when we discovered him, you know, he was a a a, a precocious grade two. Like you know, when you start to learn science and this and that, and it's just like, oh wow. It's going to be a smart kid. And now he's like in grade seven and like the wines are really starting to get some maturity under them. You know, this, this is the kind of thing that I, I think would would be really interesting. And, and I I don't know who's listening to us this time or this time of year, but uh, it'd be interesting to uh, do a little coast to coast. If we could get, a you know, get it, get to Nova Scotia uh, to, to taste some wines there, maybe get a little invite out to British Columbia where we do a number of podcasts out there. British, we're, we are Ontario, Nova Scotia, Quebec, we are all way behind British Columbia yes. as far as having in an industry, having a consumer base that absolutely loves our wine. And, I mean, even in terms of like infrastructure, though, like it's one thing where I actually love, like, you know, you look over your right shoulder, I've put the maps of Burgundy up in my dining room just because, you know, I came back from that place um, profoundly inspired as i like to mention on the podcast but not inspired because i think oh my god burgundy is the be all and end all but because i have these maps on my wall because i am convinced 100 percent that that is ontario's future and i know i've said that on the podcast before so i won't really dwell on that but you know one thing i think we are on the right track with in ontario is our sub appellation system i'm not sure that the lines on the map necessarily make sense and frankly I don't ever want to see the words Grand Cru, Premier Cru ever creep its way into Ontario. I, I don't think that does, but I would like to see that map change a little oh, me bit. Too. I, but I mean, it hasn't changed in, since they made it. I would like to see more winemakers and wineries putting their family names on the bottle. Because that's the thing is with the GGO, you register, you register your family name, you register your grower name. You know, Kevin Panagapka does it proudly with his label. 2027. But I, I think that is where Ontario needs to go to let people, you know, really know where stuff tastes and, and where it comes from. Because, like, with ADX, we've been really lucky to work with vineyards that aren't, you know, aren't on that first line. And I don't want to throw any names out there, but, you know, the documentary that was out there, um, you know, another vineyard whose name rhymes with Kismer that a lot of people know about, like, we make pretty good wine from vineyards that aren't as well known as like those like, like those I big mean, kids. Like, look, vine- vineyard name. I think uh, vineyard is is the wave of the future. We always, yes. you know, at some point, um, I think we either at the beginning of the year or the end of the year we talk about what do you think is the trend uh, going forward. And I really do believe, after talking to a number of winemakers and having a long conversation in uh, in Brunello with uh, with Bonfi, uh, the uh, so I'm gonna throw that out. Um, we Bonfie. had this large, uh, we had this this long conversation about uh, Brunello uh, and the Reserva class yeah. versus the single vineyard class, and I really believe that, and they do as well. That Reserva is kind of is is kind of passe. 
the idea of single vineyards, single plots, defining a piece of land should be the new reserve and not use the word reserve. You use, you know, uh, Chardonnay Wilms Vineyard. Yeah. Boom. You know, that's that's that one little piece of land. Uh, and well, then it obviously gets its sub app and everything like that. The um the bottle that I open up for you from Burgundy, um, it's So it's one of the sought after producers in Burgundy. But Premier Cru Oget. My favorite thing about finding out. So I bought this because the Ramosanet, like when we get the baller offerings through the LCBO, I try to buy a bottle or two bottles because I'm trying to learn. And I, I, my approach to learning about Burgundy has been similar to how I feel about Chinese food, where buy first, drink, and then ask questions later. It's how I learned I like chicken feet. Whole nother podcast for Ooh, another time. I do not want to know that one. Well, eat first, ask questions later. Like, no. how would I, I? There's no way I would have ever known I like chicken feet if I hadn't just oh. ordered them and put them in my mouth. No. But when I discovered I had this bottle in you my cellar, chickens walk around. Yeah, that's why you cook them, Michael. Ah. You don't eat them raw. Oh. But when my when I went to Burgundy in June of this past year, I discovered Domen Pavlo that also makes the same Savigny Le Bon Premier Cru Oget, and there is a commonality between this and the Domen Pavlo. And the thing is, even though. The Gourmoisonnet is a baller producer. I think the Pavlo is a better wine. Well, see, so you you found a, a little plot of land, and um, I oh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna buy. When I see Oget on a bottle, you bet your ass I'm gonna buy and it. And so I found my plot of land this year. What is it? It's uh, Saumur uh, Prix Notre Dame, which is in the in the Loire Valley, and it's where they make some just baller uh, Cabernet Franc. It's just it's, like I have. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's, I don't know, there's a handful of producers making wine from that region. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of the world that they, they only have 1500 acres. That's it. And right now only like 50 are planted. Um, oh, wow. so it's a, it's a tiny appellation and it's delicious wine. Like it's the best Cap Franc I've tasted and uh, it's relatively See, but- cheap. And one of the guys, as I posted on Instagram, somebody said, shut the hell up. Don't tell people about it because it's still an affordable bottle of Cabernet Franc. Well, I mean, that's it. The other One of the other bottles we have on the table is a Saint Amour from uh, Beaujolais. But yeah, the producer is... P. Fergot et Fils. But it's a thing where like, I even look at the trajectory of this podcast. Like You and I have loved Beaujolais since the beginning. And it's just like the price of crew Beaujolais... <laughs> guess this means I'm officially old and I'm screaming at a cloud. It's just like, Michael, I remember when we could get Cru Beaujolais for $25, $30 a bottle. Yeah, and I feel like up, those days up. are gone. But I mean, that's I. it still remains the region that I would like to go with you. I think we would have just a killer time. Oh, I think Beaujolais. you and I would. I think you and I would would cause some damage in France. Like it's thank God I speak the language because there's no way you and I end up there, and one of us doesn't end up in handcuffs for mischief. <laughs> so, and it could be you. Uh, and you're lucky I do speak a little French enough to probably get you out of jail. <laughs> all right, so, all right, all right, then, all right. And then, and then I, you know, just to not mention the third bottle that we have on the table because we did do a little bit of of. Uh, we, oh, like, like this, we, this this was a this was a killer bottle of wine. Uh, you know, hats off to uh, Nicholas Pierce. On this one, this was Brella, and it came through the LCBO at under twenty dollars when yeah. it did. Two thousand fourteen, found a bottle in the cellar, and I was like, "Wow, what the hell?" That's um, what's in my glass right now, and, and it's, it is it's delicious. Like yeah. my God, like there is no way that should have been under twenty dollars from Oregon, well, which you don't find these days. I hope Nick doesn't mind telling me the story, and he didn't get into the dirty details. It's, but it's been too late now. He bas- like he basically said to me that like that was a one off that he was able to get his hands on, and basically because like. The crates fell off a truck, and he happened. They happened to fall into Nick's hands. When well, he, you know what? If that's what happens, and we benefit, then I'm just as happy. All right, all right. We want to make sure this isn't too long and, and rambly. I know we sort of set the stage about like what we like, what we didn't like, and it's a lot of stuff we've talked about before. We, sh- we should have our wish, wish list for 2024. My, my I'm going to well, do a really did, quick one. Did we? Did we want to give a shout out to Toronto Life before we did we, that? We will. We'll do okay. that. But I'm going to do my wish list for 2024 before we get into the Toronto Life because that's going to be the key of this uh, of this podcast. Let's hear it. Uh, my wish list is uh, a Beaujolais. Uh, I think we should get there. Uh, and we did kind of throw a little bit. Uh, we did. We did a spirits. Uh, column with uh, with Toronto Life this year. We'll t- we're going to be talking Canadian about that. Spirits. It was it was hard. It was, it was a tough hard one. to write. Yeah, it was it was tough because there's some really great Canadian spirits out there. But it was also tough because the LCBO doesn't lo- bring in a lot, and a lot of the Canadian spirits on the shelf of the LCBO are 
large volume spirits, so there was definitely a yeah, lack wanted, of like craft spirits. But, but but one of the things that uh, that came up in the middle of that, um, because you know I am not the spirits guy, and you are more of the spirits guy, uh, and you said we should get to Kentucky, and so now I, I just want to make you drink the wine down there. Oh no, that was terrible stuff. Sorry, I think I think I just threw up my mouth a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I think uh, you know getting down there and doing a little Kentucky bourbon tasting uh, would be a you lot know, of fun. If we can make that happen, I think we need to get Edward Lee on the podcast as well. So there you go. There's there's my two. I'd like to do Beaujolais. We can't do you know everything. I'd like to do Beaujolais or a Kentucky trip. One of those two. We take the uh, the podcast on the road. That would be awesome. You got a, a wish list? Give me your two if you got any. Yeah, my wish list is um, for the podcast. We, obviously, we, we wrote this spirits column, and I think that we should uh, take the show on the road and go to Kentucky to taste some bourbon. Like, I think I think it's just one of these things too, where like we learn by doing, and like this is one where I think a little bit behind the scenes. Um, Plus, I like barbecue. Like you, you and I take barbecue. you and I take the Toronto. Well, Kentucky's not big on barbecue; it's more for fried chicken. Well, but they do. Um, you and I take the Toronto I think very seriously. Like we did a structured tasting that took almost nine hours to do the tasting. And like I we we yelled at each other about one wine that was not included on the list, but I was frustrated because I had learned quite a bit about the style. No one else at the table liked the wine, which is ultimately why it was left off the list. But I think that whole idea of like learning while doing, I think getting you into Kentucky is going to make you a better spirits taster. It could, and uh, uh, the uh, just to you know play devil's advocate on it, looking at the list of wines that that made that list, and then that one that was the outlier, and I and I and I was ready to say to you, all right, but if you want to say here's an outlier, we'll put it on the list, but you had to say it's an outlier. You can't include twelve champagnes and some really killer, you know, sparklings. And then go, and here's something else. And just say, it's... Because you just... Anyways, then, what then, else is on then, my wish list for... Then, tw- then, what else is then, on my... Then all you're doing is just throwing a 96 at a Toro Bravo. That's what I'm ooh, saying. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, keep it above the belt, Michael. I mean, you and I have observed that over the Christmas holidays, the scores at a certain shitty newspaper that used to be great have come down a little bit, that maybe someone's not getting checks as big as they need to be to get those scores up, but um, allegedly, and sorry, not actually making a firm accusation, everything I just said was satire, so keep your lawyers at bay. (laughs) But all I'm saying is that I did see that column, and it was all champagne and and by now my newsletter has come out there as uh, <laughs> uh I, I let's move on let's move I, on I, t- I take a little swipe because i'm a little i'm a little surprised at the uh the scores for champagne from someone who loves champagne anyway from somebody who loves champagne. make sure you subscribe to michael's newsletter michael pinkus wine um he's been doing some really great commentary and I, i've actually been helping you edit it correct so i really uh, pat myself on the back you know, of it do you, know, do you know what i think we uh we compliment each other on that editing thing because uh these lists that we are about to talk about do not come together unless we both look at each other's work because sometimes oh we had some we had some real fun this year because yeah. like uh i was between jobs i was between jobs from the end of october to while we were writing toronto life so i was spending my time finishing contracts for existing clients that i have applying for jobs tasting 250 wines, <laughs> tasting 40-plus spirits, and then writing a column. But like sometimes writing until 12, 1 in the morning, and I just remember waking up uh, the next morning where we edited each other. You were just like, I could pinpoint the moment you got too tired to write. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we Sorry. To fin- so to finish my, um, oh, my 2024 wish list, so wish list as well, Kentucky to keep for focus, uh, I'm, I'm right aligned with you. I, I think taking you to... Um, Beaujolais would be incredible. The thing I actually love about your 2023, because I love living vicariously through my friends, is like this was the year you had your first trip to France. Mm-mm. No? 2022? This time I got, to, I got to France three times this year. Well, that's different. I've been to France uh, once before, but, but I actually got there three times, and I did a number of regions. I did this time, uh, last time I did just the Loire. This time I got Loire. I got Languedoc. I got Roussillon. Uh, I did Provence. And um, and uh, so Mirky did uh, the northern like well that's part of Loire, part of Loire right? yeah yeah um, I mean just kind of watching you get that like French ex- French experience because like 
I mean, France is, I think, the one country on the planet I could never get sick of visiting. But I, I like, I think you and I to have a chance to do Beaujolais together would be would be fantastic. And uh, and before uh, I've decided, I've I've put a number on it. Before I'm sixty, uh, we are going to get Christopher to take us on a on a, a Bordeaux uh, a Bordeaux trip because uh, he is oh. he is like the number one reviewer uh, in Norway for Bordeaux, but he's also in the top ten in the world. I have uh, to let Bordeaux. you know. I and have to let you know. Speaking up. speaking of Bordeaux and um, speaking of Matt Cause, and speaking of our wonderful listeners and that two way street I was talking about earlier is uh, one of our listeners was just like, so that marathon. How serious were you? I have put the date the registrations open in my Google Calendar, <laughs> and we'll see what happens you, you next do, year. You do not make it past the third checkpoint. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's in the calendar now. So, like, if it happens, like, I may end up in Madoc in... All right. All right. Um, okay. So, uh, Toronto, <laughs> with, I guess we kind of... be following you probably in a, on a on a scooter or a bicycle. Like, how do you feel now, Andre? <laughs> I would love that. Have you, like, Mickey from Rocky? Like, feel the burn. <laughs> Lift up those knees. We have got to get... Uh, you know, put it this way. If you have a documentary company... In any way, shape, or form. Uh, oh, they already made that movie. It was a Simon Pegg, Nick Frosting. It was called Run, Fat Boy, Run. Like, oh, come well, on. Oh, okay. Well, per- perfect. So, <laughs> okay, okay. So, is um, that why you've got the Adidas uh, thing with a hood on it? Is you no, been out I, running dude, tonight? I just I wear Adidas all the time. Oh. Everybody knows that. Um, so, yeah, uh, we we talked a little bit about Toronto life. Um, so let's get on to the Toronto life. Uh, yeah, list I think we can make, make this pretty quick. I mean, it's one of the things too where to return the feedback from someone who said I was too hard on Ontario in 2023, maybe on this podcast. Our Toronto life lists were very heavy Ontario, and it had nothing to do with the fact that you and I are Ontario based. The quality of the wines stood up on. The lineups. I don't think they were Ontario heavy. I think like on a list of we're about twenty percent Ontario, man. You know, like well, we got we got enough good wines from uh, from folks in Ontario. But I mean, that's it though. Is like 20 percent of, six- of the listings in Ontario aren't that, no. at the LCBO are not Ontario. No, so. but I mean, like, look on a list of sixteen. If you get three or four Ontario, then you've skewed Ontario. But if you look at also California or Spain or or Italy, you could also see that it's skewed that way. Well, we also skewed pretty heavy Australia as well, which I think is a testament to the great Australia. value in Australia. But you know, it 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 filled my heart with pride. First off, like Zante's footsteps, chocolate factory, not Canadian, but made by a Canadian. Um, but are you, with count- our- are you counting that as Canadian? <laughs> I'm not counting it as Canadian, but I'm just saying, like you know, it, it fills your little Canadian heart with pride yeah, to know that a Canadian. Great- I think they've done a great job. Look, I like their wine, and and I've introduced a lot of people to that Grenache. That they're just like, where's this from? You're like Australia. Like when Love Symbol comes through again, and it will, folks. Love Symbol. It was not in our tasting, but I mean, Love Symbol Grenache when it comes through, look for it, buy it. It's delicious. That entry level. And I, I put that in air quotes. The Cave Spring Chardonnay, like in a world where like toasted barrel Chardonnay exists, where Martha Stewart Chardonnay exists at nineteen bucks, and you have real, legit, well-made, cool climate, medium-bodied from a torrent vintage. Balanced. That's what they called it—a torrent yeah. vintage. Look, it's not a great vintage, but that wine just there's not a lot of new oak to it. I think it's like ten percent, like five, no, sorry, five percent, if I'm not mistaken. But they've they've crafted that wine so well that uh, uh, and for seventeen dollars it's 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 it, that was a baller Chardonnay and and that's coming from me. All right, moving to gift wines, um, that Clausen Chase Churchside Pinot, and frankly, I think we went back and forth on having two Clausen Chase Pinots in our list, yes. and we're just like we can't make this the Clausen Chase list. But no, um, this was a list where we tasted hundred dollar. Um, Napa Valley Cab Sauve under Duckhorn, under Cliff Lead that we both loved and told Silver people Oak. to spend the yep. money on. That Clausen Chase Churchside Pinot Noir was head and shoulders above, not just with you and me, but with our whole panel. Correct. So, so that was a great Pinot. But like, I was shocked at just how that wine, like, and once again, we're now holding cool climate Prince Edward County Pinot in terms of quality, concentration, intensity, next to Napa Valley Bordeaux style reds and this wine still 
Still held up. Still but held it's, up. You know, it's Pino versus versus Cab. But we had to, you know, look at that as well. Yeah. I also, uh, I was also a big fan of that uh, Neil Ellis Syrah from South Africa. I don't that think was he, one that was a that was a that was a fight. I wasn't as big a fan. That, but but if you are if if you taste South African wine, and I know you don't taste a lot of South African wine, I'll give you that. And, and thankfully, I, I don't like it when wines come with an asterisk. I get it, and I to, I totally get it. But I have had, tasted that since, like, and I'll tell you because I did go out and get some bottles before we put the list out. I did not want to miss out because people suddenly went oh i want to try a south african like that one a few years ago the chateau de grand retour yeah which uh, by the way the only reason the only reason it didn't make the list this year was it wasn't wasn't submitted um but i mean that neil ellis i tasted it again it holds up as just a a straight on syrah i was really loving that and i'm I'm just going to throw another favorite was the nizoli um uh chianti classical reserva i really love that wine for the simple fact that reserva usually means more oak, a little heavier, and it showed fruit instead of just yeah, nothing think, but oak. Yeah, I think we're still seeing that like global movement towards a little less oak, oak and a yes. little more fruit. Even like because the thing is, it doesn't. I, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's not like in in Kentucky or in Bourbon when you're making American whiskey where it has to be a brand new barrel. It just has to be in a barrel. Correct. Right? Yeah. That's correct. So, um, you know, the other two standouts for our gift wines were um, the Taz Growers Blend Cabernet Franc, which you know it was. If we're being honest, in the middle of the pack in terms of quality, but for thirty bucks, a worthy gift. I think that's exactly Absolutely. what our, our, our I, was. I did. A, I've done a video on that wine, and I and I have said that it is a uh, it it punches well above its its weight class. The Domaine Calis Tradition Chardonnay at thirty bucks a bottle was just another yeah, stunner that like really really stood out. Moving along to sparkling to keep this on. Ontario showed well, but they were not the standouts. This is no. one where, like, I really want to um, tip my hats to the agents who supported us this year because the LCBO gave us no support once again. So the agents who took their time to assemble samples, get them to us. You thank know, you, as I thank mentioned. you very much for all of all you guys did this year, and we really appreciate that. But that being said, like, there were some really, really great champagnes that we tasted. Um, the Gosset Grand Reserve Brut. Champagne, I think, was my favorite in the like really weird oblong bottle yep. stands out on the shelf. Uh, I don't know if you had a champagne you wanted to shout out uh, the Baron Fuente from that was really uh, from good Amethyst. Well. There was, was one that was fifty fifty ninety five, which was the one that uh, was that one. Uh, You're talking about the champ- the mustard champagne, yes, champagne moutard, moutard. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was great, and for fifty dollars, I thought that was that was a great bottle. But we were lucky to taste together, and and frankly, this was like the only exception that we made to the rule in terms of doing everything at the tasting. We were at a flat rock tasting. The 2020 Flat Rock Riddled Sparkling that just has this depth and complexity that, like, for 35 bucks, it's almost criminal how cheap that wine is. Do you is. know what? Here's the weird part of that. I, I went after that tasting into the LCBO, and I was surprised that, um, you know, we saw the wine with a neck tag that said it's vintage date. Uh, and for some reason, the wines at the LCBO did not have the neck tag. Uh, who with cares? The vintage Go buy date. it. There's there's so little of it. Go buy it. So get so go get it. It's it's. I would also like to like to um, uh, shout out to um, uh, Trius, who year after year makes probably one of the best brutes in the province. I don't know. I I like. I thought that brute was, was it's really it's good. really good right now. The challenge for me is there is consistency issues with the quality of that brute. Some years it's better than others, and I, I hate the fact that unless unless you and I are Michael Vaughn paying attention to the lot number on the bottle, God bless you, Michael Vaughn. I hope you have a great holidays if you're listening to this. But the average consumer isn't paying attention to like the little fine print on the bottle. I I, I really do wish Trius would. Because like even Krug, Krug is a non-vintage champagne. I can't, we're talking about like a three hundred dollar bottle versus a thirty dollar bottle, but you know you get the different editions. You know whether it's one hundred and seven. And I and I get your point, but Thank you. what I'm saying is that um, the like we're lucky enough to taste it every year. Let's say yeah, oh yeah. Um, so we can tell those differences. I don't know if your average consumer really picks out that difference. Uh, where they go, oh, I, okay, this one's not as acidic, this one's not as fruity, this one's not as... I, I think we do because we are making notes year after year after year. Um, whereas the average consumer may go, you know what, it's not as good. Uh, they may go, oh, this bottle's not as good, but it's still $35 and I'm willing to... Like, I, and, I, and I will also um, 
you know, since we're on the Ontario theme, like I thought the Henry of Pelham's rosé. Uh, Frankly, across the board, all three were showed very well. And this correct. is one where we're behind the curtain. We had to pick a standout because we couldn't just make the list of Henry of Pelham list. But I thought the rosé was great. And I also, this year, was at a, um, I was at a champagne dinner, believe it or not, in Italy. Um, where they did rosé champagne. It was all strictly rosé champagne. And um, the guy doing the master class told the, 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 that, you know, first of all, only 10% of all champagne is, is done in the rosé style. And second of all, the reason that rosé champagne is so difficult is because you have to get that balance between... Uh, you know, because obviously it's it's got to be more Pinot dominated. Yeah. So you got to you've got to get the tannins in line for the uh, for the color. You also have to get the sweetness in line because you have to balance out the sweetness with the tannins, and you've got to bring the acidity in, which is something you don't have to worry about if you're doing a blanc de blanc, right? You don't have to worry about the tannins of a blanc de blanc, where you do have to worry about the tannins in a rosé. Yeah. And so it it that's why one they don't make a lot of it. And I think Henry of Pelham's rosé just just hit that bar. It was fruity. The but I mean, that's tannins, the, like see that the, that's that's the thing about and it was uh, and it was back to where I love uh, Henry of Pelham's roses to be. But it's also the thing about sparkling um, rose. about Ontario sparkling rosé as well that I think I've noticed as well. Like my favorite Ontario sparkling rosé that I don't think we're ever going to see again is the Featherstone uh, Pinot Noir rosé that they make, where it's like. 12 months on lees it's all about preserving the fruitiness and the freshness and like the thing i don't like is like like you and i we've tasted like dom rosé we've tasted i've tasted krug rosé and it's just like these are wines that have been so much time in the cellar so much time on lees so much time in bottle that like there's no red fruit left you just get the color and like when you're tasting something like that it's like like what's the point i don't get it do you know i um i, th- I think rosé's sparkling rosé I, I, I believe it with rosé as well, having done a rosé report for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, rosé is meant to be drank young. Uh, that includes sparkling rosé. Amen. Though 10-year-old sparkling rosé, 10-year-old rosé is a waste of time. Listen, I'm, I generally, like I said, I give, I, I, and I think people have noticed on the podcast as I've been getting more knowledge under my belt, I tend to give you a hard time on your hot takes. That's a hot take I think I can get behind. Although, you know what? Maybe that's something we should work on as well is to get a sparkling champagne producer, like Jesus, getting a champagne producer or someone who specializes in in long term on lees sparkling rosé to just break down what it is about the is style there? that they love. Is there one? Maybe we need to reach out to o- Olivier Krug, but I know you're not going to listen to him because you still are holding on to your champagne flutes from your cold dead hands. Absolutely, I will. I will. Um, uh, Charlton Heston that all day long. Uh, I don't know. I think there might be something to unpack. You know, this is one of those things where, like I said, going back to the beginning of the podcast, two-way street. If you're a vintage or like an old a sparkling rosé lover, whether it's Champagne, Ontario, or another region, please reach out to us and let us know what it is you love about it. Because like, I think this is one of those things where I'm worried that there's just something that I don't understand that you don't understand about what people love. Because I agree with you. When I make rosé, when the ADX Wine Company makes rosé, I'm not super excited when someone's just like, oh, I found a 2017 in my cellar. It's just like, why? You should have drank that yeah, in that 2018. Drink that. Yeah. Look, look, I had uh, I had actually last night a Featherstone uh, Joy ro- uh, Sparkling Rosé 2014. Um, How was it? Very strawberry. Still? Well, I mean, very strawberry. Cap, right? it's, it's, like under, crown cap. it's under crown cap. Very strawberry, but the acidity is, had dropped off, um, and it, and it did have like an oxidative note. So it had like a like almost a balsamic strawberry kind of note. But was it good? Because like your your initial tasting note sounded good, but like, we started talking like, balsamic. Like, eh. but I, uh, like put it this way, drank it, but <laughs> okay, that's not a high no, benchmark no, I drank for you it or because I. it was it was still good, but I remember it being a lot fruitier, right? And again. It's rosé. I was like, I found it. I was like, 2014, and a rosé. You know? I get that. But I mean, that's so. the thing, though, is uh, it's still one of the things. The only wine decision that I've ever made where I uh, I listened to you that I regret. Because, like I said, in spite of us butting heads on the podcast, I still respect your opinion for the most part. 
But like, remember that year during the pandemic when you told me to open that 09 Featherstone sparkling? You were just like, that wine's going to be over. It's going to be dead. Dead, I tell you. I told you why I wanted you to open it. I wanted to try it. <laughs> I ended up not drinking that with you. I drank it with my wife. Oh, well, you should have. I know, because it was but amazing. But you should have opened it with me, because it should have been amazing, because 2009 is an acid-based year. But don't worry. Don't worry. I have every vintage of joy going past that, but I want to wait like another... Frankly, I want to wait another 10 years, because that 09 in 2020, so that was a good eight years in my cellar, had barely moved. Yeah, well, you know what? We tried, when we were doing the, the Flat Rock tasting, we tried an 09 uh, uh, crowned. Which I liked the like 11 the, better. I know you did, but the but, 9 but, was great. But this is another one where, uh, reading the room, there were two licensees in the room. I can't remember what restaurant they're from, so I can't shout it out, but... Uh, I think the general consensus was that the uh, 09 was uh, pretty well received in that room. It was interesting, and then uh, and then I did uh, I did get a chance to taste it uh, about like a week later. All right, and, now, now, and, and there was uh, and there was some bottle variation. The, oh, the, the color the color in it was a little darker. Still very tasty. Lots of acidity, so it, it kept its acidity, but it was a little more oxidized than the one we tasted. All right, moving on, moving on, just to make sure that um, this doesn't turn into another one of our classic hour long rambles on. You know, the thing that everybody subscribed to this podcast for, and it is definitely our area of expertise, uh, Canadian spirits. And um, this was one where there's actually a little bit of back and forth when we uh, were talking to Toronto Life, because originally the assignment was to do Ontario spirits. And when I pulled the list from the uh, LCBO, the list was pretty thin. And I think this is one of those things where, like, I understand spirits are a different animal than beer, wine, and cider. But... um, you know, given the fact that we have this big craft boom taking place, that like mm-hmm. Dylan's was around, and now they're corporate, you know, corporately owned, like etc. I think it's fair to start asking questions about like for people who really care about whiskey or vodka or gin, and given what Mother Nature gives to us to create high quality spirits, you know, why don't we have more Ontario distilleries? I mean the well, I mean, the, the, the economics. The economics don't make sense, but it's, it, but the economics don't make sense because there isn't a market to support it. It's because of taxation. It's, it's correct. It's correct. Look, and look, I, I, um, I, I have not. I, I would tell you that I am not the spirits person. On the other hand, one. I have looked around my uh, my house, and I have quite a bit of spirits uh, that are kicking around back there. Now, I'm an Irish whiskey guy. Yep. It turns out, but um, as it comes to it. I really think the stuff that's being made on the East Coast is, for your term, baller. Like, I mean, that Signal Hill. Yeah. You did the over. You love the overproof. Oh, the overproof. I like the regular uh, proof, I guess. Is that what this is? Regular proof? Yeah. So the overproof is at uh, 56.3%. It's one of the things where just in general. So I like putting my whiskey on ice. Um, I don't. But it's also. So for me, the thing is like. I love living, looking for those really dense, well concentrated wines like the uh, the Bosorum was on it and the Brella that we're tasting have that like real density to it. The thing I love about overproof whiskey is it has the density, but when you drink it straight, you know you're going to regret it. It's going to burn a layer off your throat. But you throw an ice cube in it or a splash of water, and it like it's it you know it's oh. like like bringing something into focus. All right, maybe that's how I should drink it. All right, got it now. Um, you know, the Signal Hill is just like, I think we're seeing actually on, on, on both sides of the coast, because uh, we're going to talk about Bareface in a quick Woo! second as well, though. But like we're seeing, you know, it, it's where the market's going to get complicated, but also I am okay with it where, you know, in the United States to make bourbon, you have a very strict like set of rules that you have to follow. In Canada, you don't have to follow the rules where both Signal Hill and both Bareface that we love do not use rye in their mash bill. And Bareface, uh, you look, we tried this. I think they have a seven-year-old, and then they had a what's called a Wilderness O2. And the Wilderness, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, has a... Um, what was that? I don't know. It's just a little frog kicking around in my throat. Uh, the Wilderness O2... Uh, takes basically Pacific seawater, from what I understand, and kind of mixes it with, uh, like, with a maple salt. I'm not really sure what the whatever it is. There's a sweet and saltiness to this that just I was like, wow, this is just something something really special. Uh, that uh, and 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 then it's aged in 
cargo. I have the notes in front like, of me. So, like, I mean, it's just, it's just like I remember reading the notes on how this is made and going, they did what to how and who, and trying to make it so that it came into three lines instead of the ten that they put it in uh, was really, really difficult. Uh, and then adding a tasting note besides, holy cow, you've got to drink this using the S word instead of the cow. It's, I mean, you're, you, see, you're, you see how I'm trying to clean up my language for you? I said F and I said cow instead of yeah, the I got S you. word. I got you. I got you. We're good. Um, I mean, every, everyone got that. <laughs> I get like, nothing from that. I mean, I mean, everybody got that, Michael. Um, but I'm, but I get no, I get no, I was the worst cursor going. In, in our early days, now you, you're you've smartened up. I know. Sorry, um, Brian. sorry, Brian Schmidt. I know you wanted us <laughs> to keep that. Uh, the nice thing is, like I said, like given the limited access to Ontario spirits, like some of the larger distilleries, it's the whole idea of the premiumization. I think that's a word that we're going to see more and more in the uh, in the new year, like across all like verticals in the beverage industry. The premiumization is like Forty Creek. Forty Creek was something where when I moved to Ontario in 2007, I remember Forty Creek from the shelf. I remember Forty Creek driving by it on the highway to get to Niagara. And to me, I never would have thought of Forty Creek as a purveyor of premium whiskeys. And they sent us like nine. a good like nine bottle lineup. And this was another one where we had two or three that we really, really oh, enjoyed. God, yes. But at the same time, like, I guess we're letting people behind the curtains like, yeah, why wouldn't your list just be like the best of the best? It's just like, no, at the same time, like readers need to be excited to see and but they want you, to see some variety. Only, and when you can only add 12, you can't put, you know, four, four 40 from 40 Creek. Uh, so we had to pick what everybody decided was the best of the best. Andre and it was and neck I, and neck. It was neck and neck because we both like the Cherrywood too. Cherrywood is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so I know that, um, and thankfully we had, uh, and I think, I thank our panel. Uh, because we did have so Dwight and Guillaume who sat in with us uh, for the wines, but they also uh, did Tasted dip, some spirits dip, that dip we into the spirits, something on, yeah. that we did the night before. Obviously, spirits don't you know get bad uh, uh, over a night, so they were able to or change over uh, over the course of an evening. They were our sober second thought, correct? Because we were not sober at the end of that second thought. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it's really interesting. To taste lots and lots of spirits and get get to see how still uh, still Canada uh, is putting good spirits on the table. I think like like I remember there was kind of that flash in the pan with the Crown Royal uh, Northern Harvest Rye, like you know a half decade ago now. I think maybe even longer. I, I think we're going to get to a point where you know we have craft and smaller Canadian whiskey producers, you know, uh, Bareface, Signal Hill. That are pushing the benchmark for quality while finding ways to experiment with the recipe while still staying true to the Canadian identity. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what the next decade is going to bring for Canadian whiskey. And a real quick shout out to uh, to Gretzky. Uh, oh yeah, the Red Cask. You know what? The Red Cask made the cut, but they also provided us with their creams, and those creams are really good. And again, we had to make the cut. But their original cream is really good, and uh, I know that uh, I know that the Barnetts really enjoyed the rest of those creams. You know who you are. The um, the big surprise in the tasting for me and for you because I've often teased you when we've done spirits tastings that you have the palate of a sixteen year old girl oh, rating their stepdad's liquor cabinet. Um, and it wasn't a cream, but it was a back sweetened whiskey, and it was the Cabot Trail Maple Whiskey. God, that I, you know what? Uh, we did a little horse trading on that one. <laughs> I mean, that's it. We, like, okay, that's another like behind the curtain thing. We didn't dump the leftover bottles down the sink, but we didn't get two bottles of everything, so we took we took turns deciding who took what. So, like, 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 spirits is the only one you can really do that with, right? You can't do that with wine because you know the moment you open the cork, that the, the that wine's the, deteriorating, right? The the uh, the clock starts. Yeah, with spirits, you pop the cork, you got still a couple of years left in in what's going to happen there and i think you traded three for one just for that whiskey uh i mean that's the thing though is um did you know my wife's a pastry chef what oh my <laughs> god i still have to do that uh, that john oliver for you <laughs> <laughs> no but it's, it's the whole thing where um like i'm an aficionado i'm an aficionado of maple syrup like 
I have maple syrup from four or five different farms in my house at any, any given time. You know, maple syrup is one of those things where the different grades when you learn about them really do have different levels of have flavor. You ever, have you never been to a white uh, white oak farms or whatever up in, uh, you get a ta- chance to taste. But but it's the whole idea that not all maple is created equal. And I think it's similar to ice wine and the idea with counterfeit ice wine is once yeah. you really get an idea for what real maple syrup tastes like, um, like you can identify it. And the thing is like the cost of that whiskey is uh, 35 bucks a bottle. I don't know what what kind of maple syrup they're throwing in there. But, but. that's it though, is even if it is like a low grade, like a, a light All maple syrup. for the maple flavor. But that's it though, you're still going to impart the maple. Fl- the thing is, is it wasn't chemical maple flavor. It wasn't chemical no. vanilla. It wasn't dicked with. It was legitimate maple flavor in that whiskey and it made it made me excited as a maple syrup aficionado oh, you, called it, as a Canadian. you called it sugar shack and i called Tasted it like a, like a little werther's uh sugar I'm, shack you know right there next level werther's candy is your note yeah so i mean uh they they also make a cream if you want to have your maple toned cream down a little subpar. bit but um, uh, like the fir- the first one I tasted was the cream, but the uh, the whiskey itself at thirty five dollars is well worth your time. Like I mean, that's something you've got to taste, uh, and it, and it is uniquely Canadian, as is the Evergen. But we did a whole podcast on that. Yeah, Evergen made the list with uh, good reason. Um, you know, as we wrap up. For the, I would for the season for the season. I would really like to once again thank our supporters. Um. You know, we're grateful that we got some sponsorship dollars this year. Oh, but yes, so quickly. We're not. We do have to. It's just the last one of the year. So I'd oh, like yeah. to thank Valduca. The sparklingest the, of sparkling. The, uh, uh, the official ro- Prosecco of two guys talking wine. They were wonderful. They reached out and they said, you know what? We, uh, we'd we like to do a little something with you guys this year. And um, look, I know that we're coming up on New Year's Eve. Uh, not all of us are going to be, uh, going to be drinking champagne. Uh, you can't go wrong with, uh, with a good Prosecco. Look, uh, and look, uh, I'm going to say this on, uh, on New Year's Eve day, a lot of people do, uh, mimosas and things like that as well to bring in the new year. Valdoca, it's one, not too expensive. We're under $20, uh, for that wine. Um, and it is, it is absolutely delightful. And it, it, look, it's also one of those Proseccos that has uh, a vintage date, which you don't often see in Prosecco. So a it's, big thank you to Valduca, uh, for, oh, wow, uh, for you're giving not even going to let me say no, anything. No, you're not saying nothing. Cause I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> I was going to talk about the, I was going to talk about the flavor profile of oh, it, which on, is something oh, I don't think we've so talked good. about. I mean, yeah. it's one of the nice things where, you know, we were just talking earlier about like focused and concentrated flavors. There's a nice florality to it, uh, really great balance in flavors. I mean, I think there's a lot of Prosecco on the market that's uh, quite sweet. Yes. And yeah. the Valdoca is not one of those. Uh, it is serious, serious bubbles. Um, and and that's, that, that is why we partnered with them. That's that, Super I like grateful that they helped us keep the lights on, especially for the last few months of the year. But where I was going with this is also to our producers. Make sure you stick around to the end of the credits. Um, you know, I've said this before. It's not expensive to make the podcast, but it does cost us some money. Um, and, you know, now that we're doing a little bit more travel, like not the international trips, but like whether we're going to the Quality Inn near the airport, it does take time, money, and effort for us to get face-to-face with a lot of the winemakers that we interview. So, you know, I know everyone's in harder times like the economy is the economy and not to make things sound dour but if you visit patreon.com slash two guys talking wine we appreciate any support and you know we'll continue i know we 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 halved our our output in 2023 but i think we doubled more than doubled the quality i I believe that is uh, that is the case this year So so please help us keep two guys talking wine going uh Take we that two dollars from your pocket and and donate it to us monthly. That's only twenty four dollars a year. That's less than a cup of coffee a month. And I'd like to point out, I would like to point out, we are the longest running wine podcast in Ontario. We're the second longest running one in Canada. If it in wasn't Canada. for that, guy unfortunately, really coast. nice guy out on the west coast who joined our podcast, we'd throw him out of the bus and run him over. Otherwise, you know what, Michael. Um, this has been my favorite year working with you on this. So I really want to thank you for uh, the work you've put into bringing really great guests. And 
I am so excited for the next two episodes that are coming out. Like it was such a pleasure to to edit them and um I hope for the people listening they get as much joy out of that as as we have in you know I think after a couple of pandemic years where we were doing this as an escape like there were times when it was hard and not just for personal reasons just cuz like like we said we don't get a lot of financial reward out of this so it is difficult to keep things going but you know, thank you for your hard work this year. I really appreciated what you brought to the table. And I'd uh, I'd like to throw a you know a happy holidays and merry Christmas to you first of all. And I'd like to thank you for uh, for your hard work in the editing department. I know you edit other <laughs> things, uh, and I'm not always the easiest person to edit. Um, I'm I'm sure Abe uh, Collegian is not listening. But Abe used to, when I was in radio college, he was the guy who produced me when I was, and he said you are the worst because you're. Your intonation on your voice just goes up and down, and it drove me crazy. Oh, no, you're you're smooth jazz. You belong on Yacht Rock. Has anyone ever told you that? (laughs) So I guess guess uh, Abe yelling at me for years um, finally got me to to get the the equilibrium in my voice. But, uh, Andre, it's been a pleasure working with you this year. I I hope you enjoy your, uh, your Christmas gift. Uh, which is a little bit of seasoning <laughs> and a calendar of dogs pooping in the wilderness. <laughs> I'm Andre Prove, AndreWineReview.ca. Follow me on socials at Andre Wine Review. And, uh, you know, kind of a new call to action. Please leave us a rating, a review. I know many of you have been listening to this for a long time, but the ratings and the reviews will definitely help us get in front of new listeners, help us grow the audience, which is something we're hoping to do next year as well. Uh, I am Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I am also the grape guy on uh, Instagram, on threads, on... Yeah, okay, we get it. You're in a lot of places. I don't know. I don't know know if I should include X anymore. Yeah, I know. That cesspool. My prediction for next year is that X is going to collapse. I think so. I've heard that a few times. I can't let you end the podcast in the usual way. I think you need to end it like the very famous poem, The Night Before Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.